Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. And I am joined today by fellow podcaster and business coach, Dom Rubino. Dom, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Russ. So great to be on your show. I've been listening to you for a long time. Uh, and we are, we're swapping roles here. So normally you're, you're the interviewer and I get to interview you today. And we, we did that on your own podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, which I always find it difficult when people interview me because the shoes are on the, the other foot. So I get my revenge today. Um, <laughs> which is good but b- before we get into what we're going to be talking about today perhaps just give the audience a bit of an overview an introduction and some background on who you are and what you do mm, thank you well I'm a professional business coach but I'm also an entrepreneur so I, I come at being a business coach because I've been a multiple business owner throughout the years and as a business coach now for 20 years I get called into conversations with companies that always seem to revolve around the same types of themes, uh, time, you know, whether that's time for the owner or uh, operationally team, you know, the people on the company, how we're hi- finding them, hiring them, training them, et cetera. The culture that goes around with team. So we've got time team money. Everybody wants to know about how to make more money. That's usually the first introduction done. We want to make more money or, or we're bleeding a little bit of money. Can you help us stop the bleeding team money and then exit or growth strategy as well as sales and marketing. So those are the conversations that I'm most familiar with inside of companies. Fantastic. And we're going to delve a little bit into your history. If, if that's okay to, to kind of talk through your own experience of working with your family and I want to cover some of the stuff that you mentioned in in that introduction. So we're not we're not going to go away from from that. But I I think it would be great for the audience to hear some um, background on how you came to be working with your family, what sort of that involved, and then we can get into some of the reasons why you're no longer working in the environment. So yeah, kick, uh, kick us off with how it all started. Well, I'll try to keep it brief. You'll have to give me some sort of signal if I go too long. <laughs> I'll just start waving frantically. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, cut. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like many people, I went into the corporate world after university, and uh, I thought that was what you did next. But I was I was very very bored in the corporate world. I sold telecommunications infrastructure and equipment, and as you know, I live in Canada. I do most of my work in the United States, but I happen to live in Canada. 
And so for if your listeners are in are mostly in England or all over the world, it might seem exotic, but I was north of most of the cities that you would ever want to visit. I was my territories were so far north that I wore a parka most of my days over my suit. But but it was it was very interesting doing it. I just got bored with the corporate world. And so I started to sell used junk on eBay. And when I say junk, I spell it J-U-N-Q-U-E, you know, the classy uh-huh. junk. If that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not class. Junk is junk. Uh, but, what, but what I figured out is that people were buying used calculators, LED calculators, as okay. well as games and systems like Atari and ColecoVision and Intellivision. eBay had just come out. When I started, eBay was a brand new website. Uh-huh. And I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with eBay. Yeah. Yeah. So it so happened that I had moved to another province and I was living in another city. And one of my cousins had also moved to that same province and he was living in a city about three hours away from me. So we would meet at another city in between there as cousins do, single uh-huh. cousins do, Italian cousins going out. We've got <laughs> nobody around us. And those stories are for another podcast that should probably never be listened to. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but we started to think, well, why don't we do this stuff together since we're always hanging out? And so we started to sell more and more things on eBay. And that was a very interesting business, but it sort of happened by accident, really. Uh, he has a financial background. I have a marketing and entrepreneurship back, background. And uh-huh. so that little junk company morphed. It changed over time. And what I learned is that as I was, I had now left the corporate world and become a business coach. And because I was always interested in really wisdom, you know, I, I had run businesses before. And as you know, you know me through the Profit Tool Belt podcast because I work with contractors and I'd been a contractor before painting homes. And one of my first companies was installing Christmas lights uh-huh. on people's homes. That was one of my first trade companies. But I, I realized I was working incredibly hard and not making a penny. I mean, really. I could have had a job at a McDonald's and made more money, but for some reason I wanted to be in business. So I wanted the wisdom that came along with it in order to be a better business person. So that's why I went to corporate and that's why eventually I became a business coach to learn this. And so I applied those strategies to this little junk business. And from there we turned it into selling books, used books. Uh And before I knew it, I had $250,000 worth of uh, used books in inventory. Uh Uh, I would buy them used from everywhere, from thrift stores. I would buy them from retailers who, I don't know if you have this over there, Russ, but when you walk into a bookstore, they've got that table up front with all the books that haven't sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, imagine across their whole system, all of those, that unsold inventory would get sold to me. And so the best deal I ever did there is I spent a couple of hundred dollars buying about $30,000 worth of books, which got delivered to me as a rail car. Wow. <laughs> I did not realize it was a rail car (laughs) and all I brought was a rental van and I spent the day dressed just like I am today in a dress shirt and jeans. We call it hand bombing just box by box from the rail car into my van, from the van to a trucking company. I swore a lot. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. But, but, but obviously that you, you started working with your cousin because of, because you were family or because there, there was complementary skill sets? How, how did it come about that you kind of went right on? Yeah. Is it growing now? Was it a point where it was 
uh, getting to, to needing more than just your uh, singular efforts to, to keep things going? Yeah. I mean, so first he's my cousin. I have lots of cousins and I love uh-huh. all of them. And uh, so first it was convenience because we were both, if I call it the same city, that's not accurate, but we were in the same region uh-huh. and it was easy for us to get together and we were hanging out anyways. So we just started this really side business selling used junk and that morphed and grew. And as it morphed and grew and I started to apply the things that I knew as a business coach, it started to grow really rapidly because it went from junk to books to online over-the-counter medications. And from there, it turned into an online pharmacy. And in four years, we built that to 120 million in sales. Wow. And coping with that kind of growth, when something goes that well, and it it goes from, you know, junk to 120 million in in sales, how how quick a time frame was that? Four years, did you say? Four years. So... What type of pressures did that put on the two of you in terms of running that business? Because when you set out, you weren't, I don't suppose you had in your mind in four years time, this will be a $120 million turnover business. Talk us through some of the sort of mindset shifts and and stuff you had to deal with during that time. Yeah. Well, you know, I know this is the family business podcast, but my own experience with my own family, the way we set it up was disastrous. Uh-huh. And I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the saying that money is a magnifier. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, and that people who aren't, that don't have a wealth mindset or a money management mindset apply the same life skills when they have no money as when they have lots of money. And it can lead to problems. And I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody, but their problems that were always there became enormous uh-huh. afterwards. And even myself, Russ, I mean, I I was working very hard as we all do in our businesses and I had to get home to take care of the kids and get my daughter to dance. And so driving home, I went through a drive-through ATM to deposit my check, Uh my my owner's draw. And it was a $100,000 check. And I put it in the drive-through bank machine. Do you call it bank machine or ATM there? Uh, ATM, yeah. ATM, yeah. So I I got the next day, I got a phone call from the bank manager Mr. Rubino, oh, hi, how are you? You know, we have this conversation and she goes, we have a problem. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's the problem? Cause I just put a hundred thousand dollar check through the drive-through uh-huh. ATM. And she said, you can't put that much money through the drive-through ATM. Can you come in? And I'm like, no, I'm so busy. I'm working all day. And then I've got to get home. My daughter's got to go to dance recital. And she's like, can we send somebody to you? Because this is not, you know, we're used to dealing with checks of $1,300, yeah. but a hundred thousand dollars should not be treated this way. And you just get into this, you know, that's my own reflection on just trying to do things quick and move on. Yeah. And so I'm not casting any dispersions on my cousin. We just became more of who we are uh-huh. and how we did things yeah. uh, with money. And I, and I would imagine that you see the same thing I do is that that's very common when people are making a lot of money. It can actually be very, it has the potential to be destructive if it's uh-huh. not handled properly. Yeah, completely. And and part of the work that I do with um, families is to is to try and create we call it governance and it's a very broad term and it's one where it's difficult to kind of put a specific definition on but the the governance around that is how you then deal with things within the family so one of the the topics that perhaps would have been been covered with that is communication how you deal with the fact that you're earning a lot of money and uh, it's going to have an impact on your life and presumably if you were the only two family members involved 
there could become then temptation for others to go, well, actually, this this looks good. When can I join the business? And uh, again, how, how did you guys cope with that kind of meteoric rise from that perspective and the, the challenges that it would have brought? So it did bring some challenges. And I, you know, I, I, this particular story doesn't end well in the family business context. And I, I want to add that I work with lots of family businesses that do extremely well, but I come from a place of also understanding how well, the mistakes I've made. So for those of you listening, please don't think that I'm a bumbling idiot. It just didn't work the way we did it. And I've, I, I'd like to think that if, if the situation was the same, I would approach it with what you said is governance, Russ, uh-huh. maturity. Yeah, systems and process, but also everybody has to be bought into those, those systems, that process. And I did not have that buy-in with my cousin for maturity. It was, it was party money. It was falling from heaven. And so Uh that was the cautious times, but your question, you know, I guess, I guess you're asking what I would do different. Or, yeah, or like I, where the where the family problems came in? What lessons you took away from that experience as uh, at the time you're right in the middle of it, you're caught up in it as it's happening and you, you're, yeah. you know, life's moving 100 miles an hour and you're ha- having to deal with the growth of that business at that time. And then my guess is that looking back and reflecting on that time, there are certain things that you would perhaps I would have done differently or would advise others to look at right. differently to, to help them with the challenges that you then faced. Yeah. I think one of those challenges is at the very highest level. If we're talking about what we talk about, about around the boardroom table, what I'm about to share is the chandelier hanging above it. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking, and this is maybe where you're going as well is there's a difference between owning the business and working in the business. And maybe we all understand that listening to the show, but is that in place in the company? Because Uh as an owner, a shareholder in the business, I have certain roles and responsibilities, but as an owner, I'm not automatically entitled to work in the business. Uh As an employee, I have roles and responsibilities. As an employee, I'm not automatically entitled to ownership. Now at face value, that sounds, you know, we're all very calm here. There's no moms involved. There's no in-laws involved. There's no wives involved. If I'm just speaking about guy cousins, allow me that for a moment. That all sounds very reasonable. But when other people start to have their say at the Christmas table on summer vacation, it starts to get fuzzy on the outside if we don't clearly define the roles and expectations of employee versus shareholder. Uh And we did not do that. Got it. Uh, and the terminology that, that is often thrown around at that uh, type of stage of business is called the professionalization of the business. And it makes it sound as if it was unprofessional beforehand. And that's why I get a little bit kind of, it's, it's, it's not meant to be derogatory to how it was. It's just part of a professionalization process. Evolution. Exactly that. Yeah. And I'm guessing that was made harder because of the speed at which this kind of went. We're not talking about over 15 years where, you know, you can take it slowly and it's, it's a kind of, it seemed as if it was in a kind of business Gradual. where everything was very quick and kind of just happened and almost victim of your, your own success as a result. Would that be fair in terms of the fact yes. it didn't allow you to have that breathing space to go, right. Okay. What, what could we look at from a professionalization and in inverted commas perspective? Right. 
No, that professionalization is an accurate term. We did we did not bring that maturity level, that systems and organization that was needed because, as you said, it was happening so incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would never, I would never look back on that with any. You know, it was great. How, how yeah. could you say it was bad? But there were things that we learned. You know, one of the, another cousin came to work for us, and he has issues. And that really turned into a, a huge problem in so many ways in mm-hmm. the company. But because he was a cousin, it was impossible to let him go. Because as soon as I let him go, my grandmother would get involved. Uh, my, his mom would get involved. My mom would find out through phone calls they all had. And suddenly, Dominic fired his cousin. That's all people hear. By the way, he's a wonderful guy, a mechanical genius. So that... <laughs> I wonder how many people are listening right now, just slamming the steering wheel saying, oh my goodness, I, I thought I was alone. And I'm yeah. dealing with this. It's the family dynamics. Obviously, it's the reason I do what I do in terms of the, the family business advice is, is the family dynamics side of things I find um, fascinating that it's an additional element that you have to deal with on top of the fact that you're having to run a business and everything else that's going on in, in oh, yeah. life as well. Uh, and you mentioned that the... After four years, the business became very successful. Just finally, before we move on to what you're doing now outside of that family business environment, how did how did you come to the decision that now's the time to draw a line with, with what you were doing with that? How did I decide to exit the business, do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me add another layer here, Russ, that we haven't spoken about. And it's okay, because it's just going to double down on the family business podcast. Got it. So myself and my cousin were two partners. We had a third partner who hired his sister, Uh who was our pharmacist. And that was, so she's a technician, right? As a pharmacist, she's a technician and a scientist. And because of the nature of our business, a pharmacist is required where we live to be on the board and have input into the management and operations of the company. Just a a governance issue from from a governmental level. Got it. But again, you cannot confuse being a great technician with being a great business owner. And she made decisions that she thought were good, but were not in keeping with how things should go. And so she had to leave the company as well. Now that was difficult for our third partner. But when I saw the valuation that she got at the revenue she got, I came home to my wife and said, when we hit X, I'm out because this is a disaster. It was very, very it was extremely difficult from a personal level and monetarily I'd socked away enough that I knew I could be okay. And I, I'm also, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't have to run that business for my own self-worth. If that makes sense. Yep. So I, I'm as a friend of mine said, I don't need handrails in this world. I just go for it. Right. So I've, I've had businesses in real estate and pharmaceutical and coaching many years in coaching and, and in many other things in construction trades. I just knew I'd find something else as I, as you know, I've done. Mm. So yeah, that was, that was interesting as well. We had to let that person go. When I saw that valuation, I, I earmarked that number and said, when we get to X, I should get the same valuation. When we hit that, I walked in and said, boys, I'm done. And they did not put up a fight by the way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Was it kind of, Oh, please don't go, but not at all. (laughs) No, no. I wish I could say it was, it was not at all. And I can't tell you how happy I was. I thought it would be the end of the world. I even kept going into work and what was I doing? Get out of there. And so you took that opportunity to really focus on the 
business coaching side. Is that right? That that was the transition well, from there. Yeah, that's right. I left there, and then I spent about a year trying to buy another business. I I, I rented an office. I hired an assistant who, on her first day, said, "What are what's my job?" And I said, "Your job is we're going to find a company to buy." And that's all we did is I just looked hard to buy a company. And she thought, this is the weirdest company I've ever worked for. A company trying to buy another company. And I ended up becoming partners with a gentleman that some of your listeners might be familiar with. He's, he's an author, a famous author in the world of business, business improvement, sales, and sales improvement. His name is Brian Tracy. Brian had already started a business coaching franchise because of his speaking on stage. He's a massive scope around the world, but he's not able to go back to that city and support the people he's trained. And so he started the franchise. When I bought it from him, he had six franchisees. Uh-huh. So myself and a partner bought that. And I just actually sold that company two years ago. And I built it from six franchisees to 237 franchise units around the world doing professional business coaching, you know, the right way. Uh-huh. Systems, process, oversight, consistency, accountability, respect. Uh, all of those things have to be built into a successful coaching relationship or engagement uh-huh. to get the value for the client. And again, I'm guessing that brought with it some challenges from six to 200 plus is no mean feat. And the, the growing pains that can come along with that, presumably that though you were in a, an advantageous position of being a business coach, being able to tell people how to cope with that level of growth. And <laughs> what was it a, a bit of a busman's holiday? How, how did that work? No, I mean, it's, I mean, I love the business and the people I met were, you know, really for those of you out there who might ever meet a business coach, everybody that does business coaching comes from a good place. So however they, you know, whatever strategy they employ, they're all trying to do good. And I admire them for that. But let me tell you what happens when a business coach stops work on Friday and sits down with a glass of wine, at least when they're in, they were in my coaching franchise. They sit down and they think as they swirl their glass, they're like, you know what, you know what my coaching organization could be doing better. And then I would start to get emails Friday evening, Saturday evening, long emails about what I was doing wrong. And our, our franchisees were all C-level executives. So they had, they, we were the place you went after you were a president, you know, what would you do next in your career? So you came onto our organization and you took your presidential or departmental management skills and you've move that into the consulting realm. And so they were, they were very open with their, their feedback, uh-huh. I will say <laughs> about operationally how I was bombing it, but we did great. And, and our coaches did great. And really that doing great is measured by the client success in the field and the clients really, I mean, that's what, that's what we measure. I think over the 13 years I ran that company, I had two, two clients contact me at my level about issues they had with the delivery in the field with their coach. Wow. And across that many franchises, that's impressive. Yeah, thank you. It was good. And our coach is top-notch, top-notch. So what is it you're doing now that's, because it's a similar line of work, but have you, it's, it's just you? How, how's it operating at the moment? <laughs> yeah, well, I, so I actually work with a lot of family businesses. Russ, the reason I started listening to your podcast is because I was very interested in the perspective from Europe of multi-generational family businesses. Mm -hmm. And here in North America, two generations is a big deal. Three, almost unheard of. It exists, but it's very rare. And I would listen to your show and hear of six generation businesses and four generation businesses. And 
if I want to bring the best information to my my listeners, my audience, I have to go find better information. That's why I, I sought out your show. And, and I listened to yours because it, it, to me, it's studying. I'm like, okay, what do they do? What's that situation? You had a wealth advisor on the other day or the, the other day, <laughs> the other day I listened to a wealth advisor uh-huh. you had on and there were some brilliant concepts there, not at the country level, at the conceptual, you know, again, the chandelier level uh-huh. of things that I can bring as value to my clients. And so that's what I, I enjoy doing. So your question was, what am I doing now? I have two different podcasts. And so I serve the construction market as a professional business coach. Uh, I've recently written a book, but the, the podcasts are, they're very specific, Russ. If I tell you the name of them, don't laugh. <laughs> okay. I'll get it out. Okay. So, um, yep. uh, the, <laughs> so the first one is called Profit Tool Belt. Uh-huh. So that one is for all construction trades. But the second one that I'll tell you is actually the first one I started and it's called Cabinet Maker Profit System. And it is specifically for architecture mill workers, cabinet makers, furniture makers, and anything in between. So as long as they're doing finished wood products, it's an underserved market with an underserved, under-respected market, I might add. They're not getting the love and attention. Uh-huh. And I, I knew that they needed the help because I've coached many of them over my career before I started the podcast. And so that's that I'm very proud to host both of those shows, but the cabinet maker one gets the most comments when my friends say, you used to run a global coaching organization and then you ran a global <laughs> mail order fulfillment pharmacy and now you're coaching cabinet makers. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I'm lucky enough to know a tiny little bit about marketry and cabinet making. So I, I can understand the level of skill and expertise that's needed in um, that field. And it is something that when it's explained to you and you, you think cabinet makers, you think, you know, the Ikea type cabinets and that's not what we're talking about <laughs> that we're is talking not about we're talking the about. really the the high-end very specialist yeah. very skilled work and, and it is it is a niche no doubt but it is obviously one that um is being served very well by by what you're doing and you you mentioned about working with those types of business owners and the construction and, and the cabinet making um, business owners around things like their strategy and their processes and their right. the, the way in which they're doing things. And uh, again, would it be fair to say that when you're driven by, say, a passion for cabinet making, the, the important bit is to be doing the, the work rather than necessarily that ownership bit of this is how we run a business. Yeah. We need to have the processes and, and frameworks in place. Is that a fair assumption or am I, am I off the mark? Yeah, you know, you're absolutely correct. It's, there's, a, there's that movement from being a technician to being the manager of the business to being the entrepreneur running it. And that's an evolution. Just like mm-hmm. you were talking about the evolution before, the owner needs to change their perspective as the business grows or the ownership team. You know, it might be a family business and you, you might see this, the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. is what I'm going to talk about here where my dad started this business. He only pulled out 60,000 a year I pull out 75 and I feel extremely guilty and he still works here and we can't dad wants it run this way. And there's a lot of all of that noise is inside this person's head, uh-huh. but that's not what the world sees. And the, the company is ready to grow. The, the, what the father did built the foundation for the next level of growth. And it's, it's a matter of putting systems and processes in place to allow the company to be what it's supposed to be. Uh-huh. Just like when we raise a child. Now, let me, 
just say, Russ, raising my kids is a grand experiment. I don't know if I've done it right yet, <laughs> but, but, but there's an evolution, right? You can't, you, you can't have them on training wheels forever. At some point, uh -huh. training wheels have to go. At some point, you need a CRM. At some point, they have to move to a bigger bike. At some point, you need an ERP. You know, like yeah. all of those things, you just it, the company just needs it. And so yeah. are you a caretaker of the business? This is what I've learned from your show. Like multi-generational evolution moves from that startup phase to the management phase to the caretaker phase. Caretaker makes it sound, you know, and I don't think I'm using the correct words, but maintaining the legacy. The yeah. custodian, thank you. Yeah, the, the, maintaining the legacy that's been built before. Mm -hmm. Those are different skill sets and different people. I would venture that maybe the first generation uh, leader might not have been the right leader for the fourth generation type in that same business. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think what, what tends to happen is that there's, again, sweeping generalization here. And I know there is examples to the contrary of this. So I'm not, sure. not trying to sure. tar everyone with this brush, but it's it seems that there's the phrase, the reason we do it like this is because we've always done it like this. And right. when we're dealing with changing marketplaces, we're changing with we're dealing with changing economies. We're obviously we're in the, the midst of a global pandemic. Adaptation and, and being able to adapt and change the way things are done is probably a stronger way to survive than it is to just keep head down and think, oh, I'm gonna do everything the same and not look up oh. and see what's going on outside the window. Yeah. That adaptation is so important because it's we are not in the same world we're not in the same market the same economy the customers needs have changed we're no longer wearing bell bottoms uh -huh. <laughs> we're no longer listening to you know the, the things change yeah and a business needs to change along with that uh, and there's a propensity with families that tensions can rise at a point where it can feel like the next gen are coming in and telling the senior generation that's not how you do it this is how you do it and I'm guessing part of the work that you do is to help create the processes around that. So it takes the, the personalization out of it. So it's not, it's not seen as an attack from one generation to another. It's a team yes. understanding yeah. how to do it. Talk to us about some of the ways in which businesses might want to try looking at that so that it doesn't become this uh, one person versus one person viewpoint. Yeah. It, you know, it's, and, and right away, as you mentioned that situation, I thought of a family business that I deal with who happens to be in cabinetry. I have lots of different clients and listeners on both podcasts that are different, right? Different uh -huh. trades like HVAC. Do you call it HVAC over in Europe? Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, refrigeration? I know what all of those are, but not the term. Ah, uh, okay. H HVAC, yeah. no. That, that's Perhaps it's something. just called mechanical contracting there or, or yeah. something else. You guys always have great words for things that we don't <laughs> use. But... Um, I'm thinking of a particular situation here where we've got a, a father who started the, the business. It's a, they're doing very well. They're in the $4 million range. There are three children in the business. And I say children, they're our age for us, or maybe uh -huh. more my age. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but very wisely, the father started the conversation about finding somebody like me, not me, somebody like me. And open that conversation up with the family. I don't want to say the kids because that's not what they are. It's the family. And said, you know, maybe we should have somebody else here to listen to our meetings and help them run smoothly. And that's how the search for me started. And then, you know, they had their interview process. They're a very process-driven family, very loving, great family. And then when we met, you know, they asked me about the systems and processes that I had, which was wise. They asked me about my approach. Absolutely correct. And then I think they spent some time thinking about whether... 
they would like having me part of difficult conversations as well as good conversations. Now we've now been working together for quite a while and it's working very well, but the owner realized he doesn't want to do this forever. He has a boat, Uh he loves cars and he's not spending time enough on each of those, but he's got this great crew that is his family. Who's ready to take over if he would just step back a bit. Uh And so then I bring in a strategic planning process that really puts the business on paper and out of the owner's head Uh so that everybody can look at it, take their parts, go work on it. And they come back in our meetings and talk about it and move forward as we go. And what are some of the common areas that you see people struggle with when it comes to that strategic direction and articulating that and putting it down on paper? You know, I, in my head, I think of all the technical things that need to be done when we start this, this business reinvention process. And reinvention uh-huh. makes it sound like work. It's not. It's just a different way of doing the same work. Uh-huh. That's all we're doing. Got it. But one of the things that happens is, I hear this quite often from family businesses that I deal with, whether they are uh, in construction trades or not, is that they'll say, Dom, we started having these meetings and then they just sort of fill, you know, fizzled out. Dom, we've always been trying to get those numbers reported, but we didn't know how to do it. Dom, we've been trying to track our production, but we're not sure how to do it. Or I want to find out this question, but when I ask this person, they get offended and feel like we're attacking them. Uh And so when they've got somebody like myself, or perhaps you rest in the room, it's just a question. I'm not asking anybody specifically where this number comes from or why it's low or high or weird. Uh It's just a question. And, And it's a leveling that happens in that family business that allows them to point at me and say, well, Dom really wanted that number. Might as well go find it. And I'm okay being that lightning rod. That's my job. I think that's your job as well, Russ. So that allows for a third party, independent third party, dispassionate, dispassionate third party Uh to look at things objectively and bring systems and process and and repeatability to a business. So there's Uh confidence in it moving forward. Yeah, and I, I've there's a phrase I've come across which I've stolen. It, it's certainly not one I came up with. I can't remember who who did, but the the phrase is you can't read the label of the jar you're in. And I think <laughs> so, sometimes when you're you've got the same people sat around you having the same conversations, you can't see the wood for the trees because you you're lacking that objective third party, that person that can come in with a fresh pair of eyes. And just go, well, actually, and ask the, in inverted commas again, the silly questions of, well, why yeah. why is that the case? Why are you doing it this way? Why haven't you done it that way? And there's a huge amount of value to having that person sat around those conversations, but it also takes a high degree of trust in order to allow those right. discussions to take place. And Again, that's not a, a 10 minute phone call and right, we're in, let's go, is it? it it's, it's more of a, a drawn out process than that. I, if you don't mind me saying, I have seen it work disastrously where a company recognizes they need outside perspective, but they go about that wrong. Right. And there's, there's considerable bruising. And that's, I don't know if you ever get these phone calls, Russ, but I have them on occasion where somebody will say, my brother hired a business coach, so I need one. <laughs> and they're both running the you know the same business i'm like well yeah. hold on a second that's that's i'm not a bullet in a gun like uh-huh. what are you doing you know but that, my brother hired a business coach so i need one if that's if you are thinking about talking to somebody like russ or myself and and i i, I just say russ and myself because we're here whoever you decide to work with 
I would go back to the family unit that you have running the business and say, what do you think about bringing in some outside perspective? And if we did agree to that, what would that look like? And what would it be for? And what kind of person do we want to work with? And, and just come at it that way. I don't need to work with you, but I can tell you who you should work with is somebody everybody buys into because uh-huh. that's, that is the long-term best for your company. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And it can, it can be difficult to know what type of advisor to bring in. What, what issue is it that's being dealt with? Is this a legal issue? Therefore, do we need legal advice? Is this a financial issue? Do we need wealth management? Do we need accounting? Do we need this that, and the other? Uh, and I think being honest with each other in those discussions and going, okay, where is it we're actually looking for some support here? And there will be people out there that can help. There will be people out there that can support in doing that. You, you've just got to know what you're looking for. When, when you start bringing in an advisor, it almost doesn't matter which advisor you bring in because it's the same as taking a fat kid to the gym. Okay. You're just teaching somebody unhealthy how to be healthy. Uh-huh. And we don't know if they're going to do marathons or spin classes or yoga. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. What we're doing is changing that. The, the, if you view business as a lifestyle, all we're trying to do is change it. You can work with Russ or me for a year uh-huh. and then go find somebody else. There's, there's nothing that says you can't. And so the change in itself is an exercise for the business that we are in the mindset of change. Uh-huh. And so I, I often say, and it's a North American saying, it's like taking a fat kid to the gym. You're, of course, uh-huh. you're going to get results. You've started to do something different. That's uh-huh. all it is. And the, the starting point for people to find out more about what it is that you do where where should people head for that well if they're a cabinet maker i could tell you they should listen to the show uh-huh. <laughs> the podcast but you know if they're it, I, I i deal mostly with construction trades although i am on the board of an application security company and i do various other things because i'm an entrepreneur but i've actually just written a book it's called uh-huh. construction millionaire secrets uh-huh. and that is a good starting place it's on amazon i think you know we priced it very affordably it's a ten dollar book great but that gives people that overview of what are the things that you might not know? How can you, you know, if you were to buy that copy and share it amongst your, your family, Hey, what did you think about chapter seven? what did you think about secrets 13? what did you think about secret number one? And then you start the conversation and then it can lead wherever you want it to lead, depending on which secret you choose. There's over 20 in there, but. Got it. And just just give us a little sneak into to one of those, if you don't mind. What's your top tip or top secret from the book, without giving too much away, obviously? But no, no, it's it's okay. It's you know, it's it's not a long book. I could tell you, I don't know why this has happened, but I'm I, I'm a very easygoing person. I'm not. I mean, I'm very serious about what I do, but I like to have fun with it. Uh-huh. And so I'm receiving pictures now of my book. Do you mind if I just grab it to show? No, sure. yeah, please. I'm getting pictures of my, my book from people, as you would say, in the loo. It's, <laughs> it's, it's big enough you can read it in the bathroom. And I may have yeah. said that. And then somebody sent me a picture. And then somebody else sent me a picture. I've got three <laughs> pictures now. Anyways, if you were to... And that's I don't want this to go in the wrong direction. It's a, yeah. it's a great book. That's not but an invitation the, for anybody, is it? That, that's just... <laughs> if anything, no. don't. But. Hey, Russ, the lighting is good and nobody's going to interrupt you. So do what uh-huh. you want, right? If you're trying to study. <laughs> but the there's a formula that I, I talk about in here that's a secret that I didn't know when I failed hard. Mm-hmm. Because if you had asked me how I, could, how I could be more successful in my painting company or in my Christmas light installation company or in my home renovations company, all I knew 
all I had been trained through my life at the kitchen table from my parents, wonderful parents, but they taught me how to work hard. Mm -hmm. I never knew, I didn't understand what it meant to work smart. And so I would find myself at the end of the day, completely exhausted. You know, 20 years, how hard is it to exhaust a 20 year old? But I was so exhausted. I remember once, and this was maybe a little too much information. I remember driving through an intersection once in my painting van, hoping I would get hit because I couldn't see any other way out of it. I was just working so hard, making no money. I was dating a wonderful girl and I couldn't afford to take her out for dinner. She paid for dinner one night. And I thought, oh man, I'm doing this wrong. How could I be working so hard and making no money? So there's a formula in here that I learned when I became a business coach. And it's secrets 14, 15, and 16. Uh And it's how to separate the very basic elements of a business into how do we calculate and manage the the right kind of customer? Uh And how do we calculate and manage getting revenue where it needs to be? And revenue, by the way, and as you know, Russ, revenue is the big lie. Revenue is irrelevant. It's Uh profit. It's that third formula that's in there. But how how do all of those work together to allow me to make the right decisions in the right order to change the business to what I want it to be. And I never, I didn't know that until I became a professional business coach. And I was actually trained by an Australian multi gajillionaire on that formula. And I've never let it go. I realized that that is, that might be my legacy in my family and with the people I work with uh-huh. is that they remember that formula. I've done my job in this world of making it a better place. So if you want to know my favorites, those are the those, ones. Those are the ones. Fantastic. Yeah. And Thank you very much for your time and um, insights today. It's been uh, a fantastic chat. And thank you for sharing your story as well, for for the lessons that you took from from that time in your life. Where can our audience find um, more about you and and websites and and the like? Well, the best website to reach me on is through Profit Tool Belt. And there's a ton of free downloads there of many of the things we covered today. But also feel free to buy the book. You know, we priced it very affordably. It's called Construction Millionaire Secrets. And, you know, I'd love it if anybody had questions or, or, and there's free downloads from there too. Obviously today you have to have free downloads along with your book yeah. um, because there's supporting material that needs to go along with it. But those are the things that people hand out at meetings. They're like, Hey, what do you think of this? Yeah. And, and that starts that conversation. I'm here today to help anybody that I can in a family business. Cause I've okay. been through the painful side of it. I've seen the good sides from so many companies I deal with. And I, I wish I'd known these things, probably the same things that you've learned, Russ. Uh-huh. I wish I'd known them before or been open to been open to really listening to them uh-huh. when I needed them most. And I didn't. Yeah. And, and that for me, that's the motivation behind why I do this podcast is, is to try and get these lessons and these experiences out to people so that they realize firstly that they're not alone in in that but also that there is help out there for people who are who are in that situation so we'll put links in the show notes and people can get in touch via there but dom thank you very much for your time and take care we'll speak to you soon yeah thank you russ i enjoy your show keep doing it thank you cheers thanks for listening i really do appreciate it If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.